0: Good morning. I was reflecting upon the words of those songs that we sang and how powerful they are and how all of us need to not only live those truths out, but also to believe them in our mind and our hearts. Amen? If you're new with us, we've been in the book of James. You can turn to James chapter 5. We're going to get there in a moment. Last couple of weeks, I've been mentioning... And we've been following the stories in the Star Barn and, of course, the discrimination accusations, and I find it interesting it's both been local, national, and international news. And you may ask the question, well, why do you keep bringing this up? Well, really for two reasons. One is the owner's a friend of mine, and secondly, it's part of the culture in which we live. And we as believers have to figure out how to navigate that. We must think about what does it mean to be a healthy follower of Jesus? What kind of choices do we make when this kind of stuff comes against us? How well are we thinking? And what is our base? What is our thinking based on? And are we acting or reacting? What are both the short and long-term implications of our choices? What about unintended consequences? Let me illustrate about unintended consequences. When the news hits, the media and the protests, and of course business pulled out of the Starbarn. And what wasn't recorded in the paper is the Starbarn's a nonprofit, which means all the profits from the business go to take care of orphans around the world and also help get kids adopted. Now, I'm sure that the people who did the protest didn't even think about this, didn't even know this, weren't even considering this. But I did a quick revenue lost slash amount of profit loss and how that impacted feeding orphans in a third world country. And knowing what it takes, Britney's hope to feed one orphan a month and calculating the revenues lost and calculating the profits based upon those revenues in a very conservative number, it came to around 9,000 orphans would have been fed for one month if the revenues were alive at the bar. Now, again, I'm not making any accusations, not making any statements except this. I doubt, and this happens to us, isn't it? It happens to all of us. I doubt the people involved intended for that to happen, but it did. And I think so often as Christians, things we say and things we do, and we do them without understanding the ripple effect in terms of if we say and do this, here is one of those consequences that exists. And that's why James remind us that we're going to have trials. And we have to choose joy. And so the question is, when times get tough, when things are collapsing all around us, when we are treated unjustly, when there's family problems and there's problems with our kids, there's problems with my spouse, there's problems at work, how do we respond in a godly, biblical, Christian, follower of Jesus way? Now go back to the Starborn for a moment. And again, I'm familiar with the papers reported, and they're is a gap between information and misinformation. That's true with almost any story. I think you've heard me say before. There's always 50 sides to every story, and we got to take time to sit down and listen. There was key political leaders in Lancaster County who, based upon the accusations and misinformation, have made choices, and they refuse to sit down and meet with the owner. And there are Christians who have criticized the owner for his position and have condemned his choices. So what's he supposed to do? He could file defamation lawsuits. He could write editorials that would confront the misinformation. He could fight back with accusations of his own and those against who came against him. But I was reminded of the situation this past week. The principal person who started all this, and again, it was never reported why, had to go to the hospital and have surgery. It ended up they had no money or insurance to pay for the surgery. Now, the person that called my friend said, listen, God is at work. Look at what God's doing. He's bringing his judgment upon this person. Isn't this great? What the owner did after prayer was call the hospital and make an arrangement to cover the cost anonymously if needed. Now, what do you think was the more biblical God honoring response. I thought about that and I said, you know, that's choosing joy in the midst of a trial. That's choosing to extend love to a person who had set themselves as an enemy. That's seeing all of life as an opportunity to bring the glory to God. We sang about that this morning, but so often our love has limits, doesn't it? But glory to God, Christ's love has no limits. Amen. And of course, the standard is him, not us. So James confronts us with this question. We've been asking it almost every week. Are we ready to grow up? Are we ready to grow up? We're James chapter 5 this morning. We're going to read verses 6, 13 through 16. That's part of the journey we're at. You can follow with me or turn to that in your Bibles. But follow with me. James writes, is anyone... Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and is working. This is God's word. Here's the principle I want to start with this morning. The gift of speech is an incredible blessing if it's used for the glory of God. Now, James has had a lot to say about the tongue. Just a few verses ago, what did he say? don't complain. When you're in the midst of a trial, in the midst of suffering, when things aren't going well, he says, don't complain. Don't use your tongue to complain. Here he says, use it for prayer and for praise. Before, remember, he said, you know, the tongue is a curse. It's a a fire. He says, all you do is quarrel. And of course, he says, we need to learn how to bridle it. And we do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. So James says, listen, the gift of speech is an incredible blessing if used for the glory of God. And here he says, prayer is a high and holy privilege. Instead of complaining, he says, pray. Instead of complaining, he says, praise. What do we pray for? We pray for joy. We pray for wisdom. We pray for patience. All those things we've been looking at through this book. And James is telling us that the way you make it through tough times when you're faced with injustice, when you're faced with suffering, when you're faced with situations you are certain nobody else can identify with, is to pray. Now, it's been said prayer is the most misunderstood and neglected aspect of the Christian life. I hear people say all the time, I don't know how to pray. And I want to say, you know how to talk, right? You can text, right? You email, you Facebook, If you can do all those things, even if you can't, you can pray. Pray is talking with God. Now, research indicates that most Christians spend, according to Barna, three to five minutes a day praying. Now, let's go to James and compare that with how much we complain during the day. Which wins out? No amens on that one, right? Compare it to time we spend on Facebook. What wins out? Prayer or Facebook? Compare it to how much time you spend on your cell phone texting, calling, or playing games. Compare it with how much time you talk to other people about how bad things are with how much time you talk to God about how bad things are. And if you're honest with your comparisons, then maybe you have a clue as to why things haven't gotten better. Now, whether we like it or not, God has wired us so that many things He will not do apart from prayer. He wants to be in intimate communication with us. So, James talks about the priority of prayer. Verse 13 is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Now, the word suffering here is a word for any kind of suffering, it could be physical emotional, mental, spiritual, and James says, if you're going through it, pray. It should be an automatic reaction. And if we exercise prayer enough, that is exactly what happens. And I know it can be built into us. How do I know this? I watch people when their cell phone goes off with a text. What happens? Instant reaction. Got to look. Now, you know, the tough part for a pastor is that when you guys have your cell phones out, I don't know whether you're reading the Bible on it or whether you're answering a text. But think about how many, so many things are just an automatic reaction. And it's built into us. Those habits are designed for us. And if it is a priority, we got to ask, how do we define it? You know, what is prayer? I heard it stated this way, that prayer is intimate communication with God It's gaining access to grace. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Drawing near is what prayer does. And of course, it doesn't mean the trial is going to go away. A lot of times we access God because we want him to fix what we want him to fix. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes this. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited, it's an act of humility. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, and he's kind of saying, you know, I've seen a lot of things nobody else has seen. A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from From becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. In other words, the thorn's not going to be removed. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. You begin to see what he's complaining about. He <laughs> says, God, do I really have to go through these beatings? Lord, do I really have to go through this kind of persecution? Lord, you know, it's, you know, some days I wake up and I get beat in Jerusalem. I go back out. They leave me for dead. I go back in. It just gets a little weary. He says, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. Now in our text He says, okay, that's times of suffering. But if things are going well, he says praise. And you know, praise is a form of prayer. It's a a form of talking to God. It is telling God all the good things that he is. So whether we are afflicted or cheerful, we're to talk with God. Which means we're never to stop communicating with God. And here's the hard part that we kind of get mixed up with prayer. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul writes these words, we urge you brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And again, we talked about patience for the last three weeks. See that no one repays e- anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, choosing joy, that's what the word rejoice means. Then he says, pray without ceasing. And we look at that and we, we say, what does that mean? Well, it's just that automatic attitude of that. The first thing we go to is God and say, God, you know, help me. And we're just in this constant state of mind about our relationship with God. Then he says, pray, give thanks in all circumstances. Choose, joy in the midst of trials for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Remember, we talked about the will of God and, and how that impacts us. We know that God's will is to remember the first principle. Our tongue can be, our words can be an incredible blessing if chosen to be used for the glory of God. Now, I'm going to confuse the situation even more because we see Paul and Silas in prison using a combination of the prayer and praise. Acts chapter 16 verse 25. They're in prison, unjust situation. Sure, they probably already had accusations. They probably were beaten. But it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. We're like, okay, can you do that at the same time? Yes, you can. And what does it say there? And who was listening? The prisoners. I'm sure the guards were too. (laughs) But that's part of having prayer as a constant state. So if prayer is a priority, then we need to plan for it. If you do not have a plan, you will not pray. And the goal of the plan is to become a lifestyle. So what is your prayer plan? And let me suggest, in part of that plan, you've got to include things like John 13 and John 17. John 13 is, you know, hey, you guys love very differently. And because you love very differently, the world will know that you're my disciple. And so I think of my friend in the star barn choosing to love the person who came against them instead of retaliating. John 17 is about unity, and again, only two places in Scripture where it says, listen, if you do this right, if you get it the way Jesus wants you to get it, it says, and the world will know that you sent me. Both times, John 13, John 15, and John 17. And so we ask ourselves, is our unity and our love so diverse and incredible and godly that people sit up and say, wow, you know, there has to be something beyond who they are because it's not humanly possible. That should be part of your prayer life. And think of it this way. We have a father on the other end of these prayers who loves us, who desires the best of us, who's never busy, who's waiting for us to talk, and you never have to leave a voicemail. (laughs) So he says, pray. I think it should include praise. Praise. It should include people who do not know Christ and you desire for them to be in the kingdom. It should include your trials. But then James moves on. There's a shift from you praying to the church praying. Look at verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? And we're going to talk about in a moment what that means. Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil oil. In the name of the Lord. And of course, that can be a her too. Him is a generic meaning all of mankind. The word sick here is a weakness of any kind. And you know, we use it that way, don't we? How many, have, how many times have you said something like this? I'm sick of being broke. Anybody? <laughs> how many of you said something like this? You know, I'm really sick of being married to you. Don't admit that one, Okay. But we say things like that all the time. And this is this word. The word sick here doesn't just mean physical sick, that, you know, you have an ingrown toenail. It means the circumstances in life are beating you down. They are weakening you. And you can no longer stand on your own. Okay, that's what that word means. And you need support. And you need help to stand back up. It is intense. So James says, call the church. Call for help. Now, let me tell you what it does not say when you're sick in that position. It does not say, call the 1-800 number for the blessed water from the Jordan that will heal you for a donation. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say go to a special meeting where someone will tap you on the head or blow you, blow on you and you're going to fall over. It doesn't say that. It says, go to your church. It says there's going to be times that you don't feel like praying. In fact, you don't even know how to pray. It is that intense. But here's the problem. The problem is we don't like to admit we are weak. And so we wait until things have gone too far, at least in our minds, and we think, and it's a lie of the devil, that we, we should be strong enough to take it on our own. Here's what James is saying. If you're mature, if you're going to choose joy, if you're going to ask wisdoms, if you're going to be patient, if you're going to stop complaining, all these kinds of things, you will ask for help. He That's a mark of a mature Christian. Now, the other problem is we're often in denial that we are sick. <laughs> it's everybody else. It's those circumstances. You know, if they were removed from my life, it's all their fault. James says, call for help. Now, I could talk almost all morning about what the symbolism of oil is. I don't have time. But let me say this, that oil in biblical days was used to refresh a person. So here's the idea behind this. The body of the church, when people are in a heavy trial, are supposed to be the oil refreshment. They're supposed to encourage. They're supposed to lift up those that are too weak to stand. And of course, then it says, pray in the name of the Lord. That simply means we identify with Jesus and we live under the authority of Jesus because he is the one who brings strength to us. Amen. But that's the priority of prayer. Then James talks about the promise of prayer, verses 15 and 16. If you make it a priority, if you move into the body, here's what he says. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now the word save there means restore. It's just not referring to a physical sickness. If it only meant physical sickness. And if that were true, none of us would ever die. <laughs> keep praying, keep coming back, keep praying, keep coming back. But we know that, that we live in sinful bodies and someday we will die. But it means to Restore. It's why one of the statements, if you read our literature and on our website, it says this. Our desire is to be a church that dreams and hungers for God to restore all lives lost. Now, he also brings us to a different level saying, listen, there are situations, there's suffering and those kinds of things that are caused by the sin of other people. And that is inflicted upon us. But then he shifts says, listen. You know, there's some suffering that you inflict on yourself and it's due to your sin. So he says, if, if you have sin, you ask and God will forgive you. And here's what this means. When you think about the role of the church in prayer and you think about the role of the church in restoration, the church cannot fix or solve all your problems. That's what that means. But it does mean that the church through Jesus Christ and his authority and his grace and his sacrifice and his forgiveness. It does mean that as you entrust everything to the will of God and you choose joy and patience, to ask for wisdom, he will strengthen you and restore you even in the midst of those trials. If those trials are not taken away. Amen. And this whole prayer of faith, here's what it means. If your faith is too weak, Then you rely on the faith of others. I love the story in Mark chapter 2, where a man who could not walk was put on a stretcher. And him and his friends wanted to see Jesus because they heard about Jesus healing and restoring people. And it was so crowded, they couldn't get to see Jesus. So what do they do? They hoist him up on top of the roof. They pull some of the thatch aside. They lower him right down in front of Jesus And here's what he says in Mark chapter 2, verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, wasn't the faith of the guy in the stretcher. It was the faith of the the people that gathered around him. So when we think about confessing our sins and taking responsibility, becoming accountable and calling it what it is before God, when we think about the church is called to be a place of restoration, we must be a righteous place. Because it says, the prayer of a righteous person has what? Great power. The word power there is the word we get energy from. So he's talking about this incredible energy that is just kind of flowing through our lives. Far too often we want the great power without the accountability and responsibility. You know, Last week, I, I shared this principle. That we are called to be and do what God has called us to be and do. And then we need to allow God to be and do what only God can be and do. Now, next week, you're going to see an illustration of that we have a baptismal service. And uh, I encourage you to come see that. And if you haven't been here before, it is a time of celebration. But... What I love during this baptismal service is that we have this symbolism on stage. And for those that are new, you're probably figuring out what is all this? Well, you see their chains and they're doing what they're hanging and they represent people whose lives have been set free from their chains of addiction, from their chains, of their sin, from their chains of what they thought about themselves. Directly behind me is a cross that we had on uh, good Friday service where people confess their sins by writing them on a sheet of paper and then nailing them to the cross of Jesus. So they could walk away free from shame and condemnation. As Paul writes, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So all that is symbolism about what's happening next week. And uh, I wish many of you could be in the class because we hear more details than you get to hear. But it's really an illustration of how God takes some impossible situations and lives, and I watch him restore them one step at a time. And it's incredible. It is tremendous, and it is powerful. And our job, our job at GBC is to make sure that we are a righteous people, that we do the right things, that we do what God calls us to be and do, and we heard some of those this morning because in those situations, then we have this privilege to restore and to build up and to help heal. Now we're going to close in a moment. We're going to do something a little different and let me explain it. Then we're going to get the people in place and let me share you a little bit of my heart of what I see in, in future weeks here at grace. I don't know how this is going to work out or pan out, but and every week we have some people coming in here and they, they come in with a tremendous load of suffering. And they come in and they're thinking to themselves, how can I even make it to next day? Somehow I want to create a system and have a place and have people that if you come in to GBC that way, you can go to a place and you can have people to pray with you and over you. I mean That's what James says. What that looks like at this point, I don't know yet. Where it's going to happen, I don't know. I think it needs to happen way beyond just us in a Sunday morning service. But that's part of what's in my heart, and uh, you can pray with me as we think and plan and see how that unfolds. But I want to have that opportunity. But what we're going to do this morning is this. If you're faced with an intense trial, if you are in face with an intense sickness, whether it's of the mind of the heart of the emotions or physically, if you're weak, we're going to have a time and I'm going to put some people in place in a moment that as we do what Paul and Sinus did, they prayed <laughs> and they praised. Yes, we're actually going to be singing while some of this goes on. It may be a bit out of your comfort zones, but if they did it in prison, I think we can do it here in a church that isn't prison. Amen. Okay. Um, and so we're gonna have people being prayed for, and we're gonna have people praising. But what we're gonna ask you to do, very simply, is just come down. I'm gonna have a couple here to my right, and have a couple here to my left, and we're gonna have a couple in the back in the balcony. So those in the balcony can just go to that couple in the back. And they will be prayed for. So if you find yourself in those situations in a moment, we're going to do that. So in order to make this happen, I know um, I'm going to ask Chris and those are going to help lead the worship to come to the stage. I'm going to ask the couples that I asked to be the people who pray over to come and stand. You'll find the Kimes here, the guests here, and then Ivan and Melinda in the back. And I'm going to pray, and Chris is going to start playing, and you just come. You just come, and they will pray for you, and we will sing, and then we will be here as long as it takes. So if they finish singing, and we finish singing, don't worry about it. Um, we're going to keep praying till we kind of help restore and hold up those that are weak. Hopefully I didn't make that sound too muddled and uh, let me pray and then we'll start Father God you know our hearts here this morning you know the situations and uh, we want to be a church that raises up and restores people as you have raised us up and restored us so no matter what trial it's being faced this week if there are those that need that boost that encouragement I encourage them to come All of us have faced a lot of different things this week. Some have faced the loss of losing people they love. Some are faced with the reality that it's going to happen really soon. Others have kind of relapsed in their sin. Others are just praising you because it's been going really well for the last weeks and months. I pray, Lord, that we become that church that breathes prayer. That we don't make it into a mechanized formula. But rather, it's just something that is just so natural to us. We respond and we look to you every moment. But right now, Lord, we pray for those that are carrying heavy times. We pray these things in your name. Amen those that are faced with trials you can come down here to the couples here those in the balcony in the back just come right now the rest of us let's stand as we kind of worship you